everyone. A pastor, a visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. It's great to have you with us for another visit. To we the have Pastor a stereo study. here. In a previous program, always a few technical difficulties. Makes things interesting. Hey, this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. It's great to have you with us for another visit to the pastor's study. He was brought up with, as they say, a silver spoon in his mouth. His father was a man of great wealth. He had all the privileges for which a man could ever ask, and his family was a religious one. From his earliest days, he'd learned of God, of his love, of his holiness, of his truth, and of his gracious dealings with his people over many generations. He'd been surrounded by God's care and by God's rich provision. God had blessed him beyond measure. But it was the material wealth that captured his heart. He wanted his share of the family inheritance, and he wanted it now. He only had one brother, so the amount of the inheritance money would be very large. He dreamed of how he could use that money to live in luxury. Those dreams filled his days and his nights. Dad, I want to enjoy my inheritance now while I'm young. Remember, we don't know what a day may bring forth. I know that inheritance money's mine, even though you're still alive, so I want it now. I want to live my own life. And his father granted his son's wish. The boy left home and moved away where no one knew him. With all of his money, he would start a new life, his own life, in a new country, and he would enjoy it. The food, the drink, the women, the activities, the fun, he was without a care. He spent, and he spent, and he spent, until all of his money was gone. His newfound country went through hard times. There was less food, there was no money for strong drink, the women had abandoned him, all the fun and the games were gone. He had to hire himself out to someone who could pay him. He became a virtual slave to a citizen of his new country. He had to do menial labor, and the pay was terrible. And to top it off, he was feeding pigs. Every day he had to come in contact with the animals his religious instruction had taught him were unclean. Every day his work was a painful reminder of the unclean life that he had been buying with his inheritance money. Every day, each of his senses, his eyes, his hands, his feet, his ears, and his nose made his whole body experience physically the things that he had been doing to his own soul. And to add insult to injury, he was hungry. He wouldn't eat the food given to the unclean animals, and no one was compassionate enough to share his food with him. The rich country to which he had come was really very, very poor. And it was very, very cruel. The young man was utterly, completely miserable. Then one day, he woke up. He came to himself. The lights went on. He'd been receiving reports of things in his father's country, the country of his birth, lots of food and good drink there, and healthy pleasure and happy homes. He'd given up real treasures for body and soul, and he'd exchanged them for things that were, now that he could see clearly, 
no different than the rough seed pods, the empty hulls that he fed to the pigs. In his adopted country, he was living in the worst poverty when, in his home country that he had left, well, there were still true riches. We can read the rest of the story in the Bible's book of Luke, chapter 15. It's the story of how a prodigal son, a person who'd been given great privileges, wasted his life, came back to his father's house, and was joyfully restored. It's the picture of how God the Father welcomes back those who were brought up in his church, who strayed away from it and in many cases really messed up their lives, who woke up to what they had done and who humbly returned to their country of birth, heaven, and to its halfway house, this side of heaven, the church. Now, let me emphasize to you that this uh, joyful restoration is possible because of a son who did not waste his life in a far country, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, willingly relinquished the use of his eternal wealth as the second person of the Godhead. He came to the far country of this world, but he never gave himself into its reckless living or even to its reckless thinking. He never stained himself by what was unclean, but the people of the far country of this world hated the Son because he wouldn't give in to its way of living. They rejected him, and they crucified him. They did that not knowing that the perfect son gave himself so that poor prodigal sons and prodigal daughters might have a payment for their sins and have in him a way back to the favor of their offended father. And he would rise from the dead to prove that his payment had been accepted. Later he would ascend to heaven where he prays and where he reigns so that prodigal sons and daughters might be brought back to God the Father. And he sends the Holy Spirit to pursue them in whatever far country they're in, to bring them to their senses, to wake them up to their poverty and their misery, to give them a desire to return to God, and to actually bring them back with genuine humility and with sincere confession of their sin. And when they follow that path, they don't live as second-class citizens, but as joyfully restored children of God. God the Father is moved with compassion. He runs to the prodigal son as he comes home. He kisses him, and in response to his son's words from a truly broken heart, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Well, the father calls his servants to bring quickly the best robe and to put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Let's eat and celebrate for this my son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Well, that's the, the story of how prodigal sons and prodigal daughters are restored in and by the power of the gospel, the good news. It is the most amazing story that we can hear because, well, to some extent, we're all prodigal sons and daughters. We're always returning to God, and we're always being received with joy. Have you experienced that? You see, this is what the true Christian life is all about every day. But there are some prodigal sons and daughters who, in very dramatic and painful ways, squander the good things God has given them, waste their lives with reckless living, come to experience the hardship, the slavery, and the soul hunger of the far country, and who one day wake up and realize what they've given up. God's relentless pursuing grace has not left them. Now, that powerful grace makes them feel their sin 
so that they really feel the need of a Savior, and they come home to God in that halfway house of heaven that we call the church. It's a beautiful story. It's a story of truly amazing grace, and it's the story of the power of the gospel to restore prodigal sons. Well, you'll be hearing a real-life example of that power on today's visit to the pastor's study. Remember that this program invites you to visit the pastor's study by way of your phone calls or your texts. To be on air as part of the program, just call 631-955-5400. Again, to be on air, number 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions, and you can do that anytime during the week, but particularly for this program. Here's the number for your texted questions, 516-367-0391. Put that under... Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391. And even if we don't use your text questions today, we'll try to get to them in a future open forum. I'm going to call our guest today Mr. RP. How's that? Mr. Restored Prodigal. Welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Hello, Pastor. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well. And how about you, Mr. RP? I'm doing fine, thank you. All right. Hey, without going into unnecessary details, uh, tell us how, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, you left your father's house and went to a far country. Well, I came uh, not from a Christian home, but came to faith through the Word of God in my early 20s, and... um, then when the cares of the world began to press in upon me uh, some years later, I began subtly and gradually blaming the weaknesses of others for my frustrations in a difficult situation. And rather than praying for and loving those, uh, as God commanded me, I began to self-medicate with alcohol and look for alternate ways to make money more quickly, because I thought that was uh, my greatest need, in some sense, in the situation I was in. And I was able to find a way to make a lot more money quickly, but that, but with that came freedom and a lot of money and uh, less accountability. And that was really the beginning of my downfall. Uh, prayer and the inner relationship with God and service in the church all began to suffer. What, uh, again, we don't want you to be specific with the sins. that They were things, though, that that eventually brought about your excommunication. Uh, Can can you tell us a bit about that part of the far country? Yeah. um, uh, It was a very difficult time. For everybody involved in the situation, it, um, you know, Pastor, sin affects a lot of people, just not just the person involved. It's, it's a matter of selfishness, of uh, trying to escape pain and not doing things God's way. And uh, the, uh, well, let's say the church was not actually involved at at first. The decline was gradual, but I began to put myself into riskier situations, uh, and there was the where there was the possibility of a more serious fall. And then I did have a serious, unexpected, unplanned fall, which led to immediate guilt, 
and panic. I knew I had betrayed my father in heaven and many others around me in the church and at home, and I carried that guilt around for weeks, maybe even a few months, uh, until I knew that the only way to resolve uh, this sin to, was to confess my sin to God and to others and, uh, and, and trust that God would, uh, in his time and way uh, and in his eternal love and forgiveness, um, uh, grant me forgiveness and begin to restore my soul. Um, I, I had no choice. I knew that that was the way to confess, even though others, uh, some others around me said, no, keep it to yourself, don't, don't confess. But someone uh, said to me, you know where that path leads. And so I knew it was my duty to confess and, uh, and to try to begin restoration. When, when the church of which you were a part at that time heard about this, uh, how, how did they deal with you? Well, <clears throat> yes, at some point the church did get involved. It became a more public matter. Um, uh, I think that my desire to confess, which I did before being found out or anything, was, um, was my... Uh, attempted return to the father's house in the story of the prodigal son. And I perhaps anticipated one of the grave mistakes that I made was anticipating the situation to go um, as the story of the prodigal goes in Luke 15. And uh, if there's one thing I can say to those who may be listening and to those who may be in a similar downward spiral or any kind of downward spiral right now is don't anticipate what God may do in the short run. Uh, let God work things out in his way. Our job is to do what God says in his word. That is to confess and leave the consequences with God. And, and so, how, um, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. Yeah, develop that. That's a fascinating statement. Don't, don't uh, anticipate what God may do with you in the short run. Can you develop that a bit? Sure. The, um, yeah, I, maybe it's a personality trait with me. Maybe it's uh, common with many. But, you know, we can read the Scriptures, uh, be in a difficult situation, uh, pray, seek to restore a relationship with God, and yet, and, and then anticipate that He will do it in the way we think He should do it, or in the way that, as I mentioned, is in the the story that you read from uh, in Luke 15. In the in the story in Luke 15, the parable there, the the one in the far country realizes his uh, terrible its estate and decides to return the father, and immediately he was um, uh, received with open arms and restored with, <clears throat> with the graces of his father's house. Well, that was certainly not the case with me. Um, it was a long, very painful process, and I can think of other scriptures that apply. Uh, the way of the transgressor is hard. I tried to pray, uh, seeking forgiveness from God and others, and 
in many cases that was uh, around me, that simply was not forthcoming. And I was dashed by that. I was, uh, I was, I felt further guilt and shame and depression. Uh, the church was gracious. They, uh, they, they did their best to uh, deal with a very, very difficult situation that was new to them as well. The elders of the church, and so um, um, I realized more and more that I had brought about a terrible, complex situation, and it led to further guilt and decline for a period of time. And so, so what you're saying is there was not a quickness to forgive on the part of the Lord's people? Is that, that, what, that, that certainly didn't well, help things. Well, um, not so much the Lord's people. Um, <clears throat> I, I think there was a desire to forgive on the part of the Lord's people, but in the totality of the situation with the with with those closer to me and um, maybe perhaps some of the lord's people there was just a uh, uh a disgust a, re- a rejection um and which brought about more shame and more of a downward spiral yeah and and eventually you were excommunicated from the church of which you were a part Yes, and uh, of course that was completely my own fault. Um, um, uh, One of the things, uh, you know, we can look at the situation and try to uh, um, uh, be so concerned about situation and doing things right. I, I may not have agreed with everything the way things were handled around me, but I had no standing to speak up at all. It was just the right time to be quiet uh, to, and to let God do His work in His time. We are dealing today in a visit to the pastor's study in the power of God to restore prodigal sons. We've heard the, the downward spiral and that did lead to Mr. R.P.'s excommunication, but the rest of the story is tremendously encouraging. And we'll begin to get to the rest of the story after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. That great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, check out the website at at ReformationMetroNY.org, where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again. 
ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. This is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today. We're dealing with the the power of God to restore prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. I'm sure that many of you who are parents listening to this program know the heartbreak of a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. If you'd like to call in with your, your question for our guest, Mr. RP, Mr. Restored Prodigal, you can call in at 631-955-5400, or you can text your question if you're more comfortable with that, and you may be 516-367-0391. That's for text questions only, 516-367-0391. Mr. RP, while you were in the far country, and you'd been excommunicated from the Church of Jesus Christ, tell us how the Lord was pursuing you with his grace. Well, before I sensed <clears throat> the Lord's pursuing me with his grace, um, I tried to pray, I tried to restore myself in a sense, and that never works. Uh, but even in trying to pray, I remember this phrase that I used, and I don't remember the exact order or exactly what I was thinking at every step along the way, but I remember the phrase, black steel. And when I tried to pray, it was just as if heaven was black steel over my head, and I, my prayers couldn't penetrate beyond the room I was kneeling in. Uh, but the other thing that kept me, as I've been told later, uh, um, on the right path to some degree, even though I was in the far country, or thinking rightly, was the other thing was that I, cont I never <clears throat> doubted the truth of the Bible or the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I always knew that Christ was central. I believed the gospel. And and also, uh, with along with that, I had respect for the authority of the Church. I never doubted that God had put those men over me, uh, that 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 process was for my good, even excommunication. Uh, it was for my own guilt and shame that I was excommunicated <clears throat> and lack of uh, uh, partaking in the... Uh, uh, in church life, and so I was in the far country, and it was actually a number of years. It was about seven years of time that I just couldn't pick up my head and look to God, and uh, <clears throat> and yet I always sensed the truth of God's Word. Uh, and then I moved out of state, and in another place I began to attend a church in the same denomination, and and uh, gradually uh, hear the word again. Was able to uh, see the grace of, and light of the Lord Jesus, and begin to pray again. And the black steel seemed to be lifted, and uh, very gradually um, trusting God, but not trusting myself. I wanted to see uh, my own actions, and if I would be. Uh, <clears throat> Um, uh, faithful to 
the restoration process, and it took me four more years before I became a member of that church. Let's back up a, a little bit. Did people from the church of which you had been a part, did they continue to keep contact with you? If, if they, Hopefully they did. What, what, did. what did they say, and how did you respond to it? From time to time, yes, in sort of the normal flow of life, uh, there, there was no—I'm sure that there was prayer for me, and uh, found out more about that later on, and I'm so thankful for that, uh, so thankful for the way things were handled. Uh, and yet there was really very little contact uh, <clears throat> for uh, for a number of years there. Now, was that uh, because people didn't contact you or because you didn't care to be contacted or both? I guess both. Um, I, I, I'm not really sure uh, exactly how how that went. But there was uh, occasional contact when when. Uh, when, when sort of things mandated that yeah. through, uh, <clears throat> through relationships. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm intrigued, Mister Mister Restored Prodigal. I want to emphasize to all of you: this is a restored prodigal. I, I'm fascinated by the the little phrase in, in Luke 15: "The prodigal son came to himself." Yeah. Uh, what did, What did that look like for you? Well. All along, I realized the uh, that sin does not uh, that there's no lasting pleasure in sin. It does not satisfy. Um, <clears throat> it is temporary pleasure. It is here and now. I knew that. My my sort of goal in dealing with the black steel above me was simply to lessen or or at least not to increase my judgment that I sensed I was under. Um, and so uh, when I came to myself, it wasn't, again, it wasn't a one-moment aha moment or an epiphany. It was once I went back to church, um, and in the beginning I would slip in the back door five minutes late and slip out the back door five minutes early, but I was there, and I heard the word, and I began to meet a few people, and um uh, that was a, a gradual process for me, but it was, um, you know, <clears throat> it was a wonderful beginning to the restoration, and and uh, as the prodigal prodigal attests there. Were you were you reading your Bible during? I mean, I, I often wonder what people must think when they're reading the prophets, and and the strong words of God's judgment when there's disobedience. Were you? Did you read these kinds of things? Did that provoke fear in you, or were you just not reading your Bible at all? I mean, what was it? What were your What were your days kind of like in that regard? Yeah, there were there was a lot of self medication because of guilt and shame, <clears throat> and an aversion to the Word of God. Not that I didn't believe it; I knew it was true, but it was convicting continuously, and I couldn't pray, so it was in a catch twenty two in a sense. Not God's fault, my fault, and yet God used that eventually. Uh, once, once the black steel lifted, and I was able to pray again, and was able to read the Word with understanding again, um, I began to 
uh, take comfort in the restoration passages rather than the judgment passages. I knew those passages. Uh, early on, I was struck with Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 and other uh, judgment passages and carried those with me. But it, it was the grace and love of God that, that began to uh, help restore me to the things of the Word of God and the Church. Now, when you say self-medication, are you talking literally, or are you talking about uh, religious things that you did, or both? Uh, mostly uh, alcohol and some uh, and other forms of self-medication. Yeah, yeah things that you did yeah. that were tranquilizers, basically. Tranquilizers, they, yeah. yeah. Self-medicating in that sense. Escape. Escape. Escapism. Yeah, I guess it probably, when it says he came to himself... He came to reality in, in that case. Um, so, well, well, on that note, uh, one of the things early on in the in the new church was that um, one of the elders spoke with me about a concern, <clears throat> and uh, it was regarding alcohol. And my rea- this was a little bit not just the first weeks, but a, a year or two down the road of uh, before membership, though. Uh, and he said to me uh, his concern about alcohol because of some things he had heard. And uh, I immediately, I don't know why, it wasn't premeditated, I immediately told him that I would quit alcohol, and I did, wow. and I have not had a drink since. Wow, amazing. And it has helped yeah. tremendously. We are dealing today with the power of the gospel to restore prodigal sons. You're hearing about this um, we're t- we mentioned the process of restoration, and when we come back, that's what we're going to look at. If you'd like to call with your questions, 631-955-5400, or you can text your questions if you'd like about the restoration of prodigals, 516-367-0391. But for now, a brief message from those bringing you today's visit to the pastor's study. A visit to the pastor's study is brought to you each week at this time by the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. Our local congregations are in East Haddam, Connecticut, that's Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in Hamden, Connecticut, that's Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, and then also our congregation Queens and Fresh Meadows Reformation Presbyterian Church. Here on Long Island, you'll find Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square and in Syosset, that's Trinity Church, and then the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Bohemia, New York. These aren't the only faithful churches in our area, but they're ones that we can commend to you, and we would encourage you to visit them if you don't already have a local church. We also encourage you to visit our website, visitthepastorstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorstudy.org, where you'll find archives of all of the programs and what we call these magazine articles for the ear. Again, that's visitthepastorstudy.org. And I always appreciate your emails. You can email me at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. That's visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Questions you have about the program or about anything else connected with the work, I invite them. And now, back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. This is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. We're dealing today with the power of of the gospel 
and the power of God, too, the power of the gospel used by God to restore prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. If you'd like to call with your questions, 631-955-5400, or you can text them at 516-367-0391. Mr. R.P., the restored prodigal, has told us about his descent into the far country and how the Lord gradually brought him up out of that. Let's hear the rest of the story. Mr. R.P., tell us a little bit more about the process of your restoration. Well, one thing I learned was that I would, uh, by God's grace, try to focus on Christ. I had to get out of my own head, out of my own thoughts, out of my own guilt, out of my own uh, feeling sorry for myself, and uh, focus on Christ. And one passage... Uh, that was actually uh, the focus of on my, on the day of my um, uh, <clears throat> full restoration, becoming a member of the church was from Second Corinthians seven verse ten, which says, "For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death." And there are two kinds of sorrow there, the sorrow of the world, which is a sorrow over the consequences of sin, sorrow over the consequences of being caught in sin. We, we see that all around us in the world today. But godly sorrow produces true repentance, a desire to change one's heart and one's life. And uh, that is a gift of God. It's not something to be regretted at all. Um, the, the, the pleasures of this world, the the, the self-medication and uh, of this world is is a temporary fix. Uh, temporary fixes are, are are for this world, but the the gospel and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross and His work in our hearts in regeneration and in restorative grace through the church through. Uh, biblical church discipline, which is a tremendous blessing. I can attest to that. Uh, that is something, all of that is eternal. It is, it is not just for this life. It, is, it brings forth eternal life. Uh, eloquent, eloquent sermon, actually, that you gave. Mr. R.P., you mentioned it in the previous segment, one of the elders of the church you were in, uh, wisely, lovingly, boldly confronted you about substance abuse. How, what were other ways the, the pastor of that church or its elders ministered to you in the course of restoration? Oh, just with gentleness and love and the ministry of the Word itself. Um, uh, the pastor said, let's read this book together, and we did that, and then we got together and talked about it. And uh, things along that line. It was uh, <clears throat> it was a wonderful process of restoration with the people of God there. And then, you know, something that I I learned along the way was when I'm depressed, when I'm down and looking inward, get up and go do something nice for somebody else. So that was sort of a little internal formula I used. Yeah. Get up and get, you know get out of your own head and go do something nice for somebody else. So I tried to, tried to do that and uh, still try to do that to this day. Paul David Tripp's book on suffering, 
uh, which I'm working through now in his section, I think it's chapter 6, on the doubt trap. But he says exactly the same thing when you're depressed, among other things. Get up and do something for the glory of God and for the good of yeah. others. Get out of your head. You don't have to remember any of those books that you worked through with the pastor, do you? Well, I'm sitting in my study now, and uh, I have almost 2,000 books oh, now. Okay. <laughs> All right. I went on and got a master's degree in counseling and almost finishing up a doctorate now. So uh, uh, let's see, which ones we read at that time? Um, <laughs> it wasn't all 2,000, I don't think. No, no. it wasn't, yeah. but it was, there was a Jerry Bridges book. I uh, forget the title. A Pursuit uh, of Holiness? Not that one. He has several, but it was one of his books. Yeah. And um, I, I could probably yeah. figure it out and get back yeah. to you on good, that. Good, good. Okay. All right. How long before you came back into church membership? Uh, it was seven years in the far oh. country, and then once I came back, I was gradu- I was self-doubting still, as I mentioned, and it was four years uh before i became a member and i've been a, back as a full member and my, very very much involved in the church uh various forms of service um since which has been a big part of your a big part of your restoration is your service to the lord right yes and 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 one uh, another pastor uh, recently told me that when the elders of his church are dealing with restoring a brother after excommunication. It's one of the things they look for there in the same Second uh, Corinthians 7 passage uh, where it talks about um, you served in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In other words, uh, I wouldn't uh, make my experience anyone else's, uh, but they were saying that they were looking for some um, something more than just uh, 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 something more than just the run of the mill. Yeah, <laughs> I sure. sit in the church on well, Sunday well, morning. Well, me, uh, some some real diligence in restoration. Let me let me ask this way: I, I, you, How were you prepared? for your restoration to church membership by the church officers, given your having been in the far country? Did they give some special kinds of, of preparation for you or, or, or helps or assistances or warnings or what? Well, in our case, um, <clears throat> there was uh, communication between the former church and the current church at at my um, uh, uh, sort of getting involved in at my suggestion and and so there was cooperation there 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 was of course a church membership class and uh uh but but the things i mentioned reading books together getting together with okay. the pastor and uh and getting very much involved in church life and using the skills that god has given me uh to uh, to be to serve the lord yeah so i assume your your previous church uh, where the excommunication had come, they, they must have been brought into this process and informed that there, much to their thrill, I'm sure, that that there was genuine repentance in you and genuine change. Correct? 
Yes, uh, that's right. Someone said it made their week. So, uh, yes, there was. And, uh, in fact, they sent an elder to be present at my uh, restoration service, my becoming a member of the new church. And it was a it was uh, a full circle event. It was a comp- it was a total blessing. What was that experience? That must have been an amazing experience that day. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much the congregation knew. They didn't need to know a lot, but at least for you, what was that experience like? Uh, <laughs> it, it would be hard to talk about yeah, it without yeah. getting very emotional. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> It was wonderful. You know, let me just interrupt here for just a minute. Um, Sure. We're going to come to this a bit later. In the account of the prodigal son, you cannot read that section about the, 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 the father's response to the prodigal son without weeping, without breaking into tears as the father, representing God the father, runs to his son and the son comes to him in that brokenness. I I can't believe that there were there were not buckets of tears at that time. Uh, so so we can we can well understand that. And I don't I certainly don't want to make this more agonizing for you than I should. I, I am intrigued. When we talk about restoration, one of the texts that that comes to my mind is in Second Corinthians chapter two. You have this one who was restored. He'd been disciplined, and so that now the apostle Paul addresses the congregation, and so, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Uh, was that your experience? And, and, and maybe develop that a little bit for us, just from your own experience. Well, in a general sense, yes, of course it was, as the people of God. In my actual, the details of my experience, I did not return to the same congregation. So the former congregation had no way of knowing all of the restoration process and diligence and, and, and service that went into those things. So it was different for them. But in the new congregation, there was full acceptance and, uh, and, and encouragement. Have you ever come back to your previous congregation? And, and Yes, yes, I, I have. And been received well and warmly? Um, uh, again, I don't want to say much, too much there because they didn't know. They yeah, don't know okay. all of the details. There were some yeah. different people. They didn't know all that, all that went down, and uh, they, they remember the better times. They didn't see all the good, yeah, the, the, good the new yeah. Process. Hopefully there was communication to the church about things. So what, Mr. R.P., what are your reflections as you look back? What are the big things that stand out in your mind about this whole uh, amazing uh, aspect of your pilgrimage? Well, it, number one, that God's Word is true uh, in every detail. And <clears throat> I want never to compromise it in... Uh, you know, we, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, and we all have blind spots. And even in the restoration process, I think God gives various insights. So um, uh, uh, <clears throat> the, 
there are struggles in some people with physical, with fleshly things, and struggles in others with doctrinal things. Uh, and so um, the Word of God is true. And when I look, when I am tempted, when I am, uh, when my own weaknesses and proclivities act up, kick up within me, I need to look to Christ and to His Word again and again and again. And when I fall and when I sin, I, 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 I am broken over that, but I continually look to His Word, and I never, ever want to compromise His Word, either in doctrine or in life. It's much more difficult for me in the uh, in the life area in in the sins of the flesh. That's my area of weakness. But I know that now. I know what to stay away from, and I um, and I pray that God would uh, keep me in that way. Well, we're, we we are restored prodigal sons, aren't we? Yes, we all are. <laughs> That's yes. a great way to think. It's easy to point the finger at others. Look at ourselves where we're always, by God's grace, uh, turning from sin and, and unto Christ. Uh, could you give, and you can do this in a way because of the, of the poignancy of your experience, can you give some words of advice to, to men and women, young men and older men and young women and older women who are in the far country, as it's put in, in Luke 15? Sure. I, I could try, and um, anticipating you're mentioning uh, <clears throat> uh, some words to parents also, but first, to those who are in the far country, try not to anticipate exactly how God is going to uh, restore us. Don't expect others to grant forgiveness just because we ask forgiveness. We, asking forgiveness, our own repentance, our own standing with God and before God and before others is our responsibility. We can't worry about the responsibilities of others in granting forgiveness or in doing anything that we anticipate should be part of the correct process. Uh, that's one thing. Don't anticipate too much. Be patient and pray. Uh, the second thing would be uh, get back to the Word of God and pray as much as possible. If the black steel is there, be persistent. Uh, the third thing would be uh, th- this little phrase, uh, along with getting up and going doing something nice for somebody else, but this little phrase t- helped me. Uh, when I when I was going through the restoration process, just do each thing right each day. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> if I concentrate on what my job is today and try to do it right, I'm going to stumble and fall sometimes. But I, if I if I try to be too much of a big picture. Um, uh, if I try to look too much at the big picture as far as my own sin and restoration, I I can get off the tracks and anticipate too much and fall and stumble. But I need to just do each thing right each day. Yeah, it sounds like the other side of the coin of Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount, each day has enough trouble of its own. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Can, can you give exactly. just just about a minute or so left before we come to the counsel from the pastor's study? Can you give some advice and encouragements to, to parents of prodigal sons and daughters? Well, this may sound counter intuitive and uh, difficult. 
but you know, look at the look at the story of the prodigal. When did the prodigal consider returning? It was when he hit bottom. And so, as parents, we want the best for our kids, even when they're even when they're not walking according to the ways that we we want. And our tendency is to pray for them that things would go well for them, that things would go easily for them. But if they are not walking with the Lord God, if their parents' faith doesn't seem to be their faith at this particular time, it is counterintuitive, but we want them to come to the end of themselves. Wow. And then come to themselves. Hey, thanks, Mr. Restored prodigal for that emotional, rightly emotional and poignant presentation on how the the gospel really does restore prodigal sons. Just a a word now in this council from the pastor's study, a word to both churches and to pastors. Church discipline is part of biblical church life. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus lays out the process of discipline, beginning with dealing one-on-one and bringing witnesses, and eventually, if necessary, if people won't hear, telling it to the church, in which if the person won't hear the church, there's to be what we call excommunication. And all of these aspects, all of these steps, as it were, of church discipline, they're for the glory of Christ, they're for the purity of the church, and they are for the restoration of the offender. They're not a way to get people out of the church. One thinks of how the Old Testament prophet spoke of the leaders, and he says, with force and cruelty you have ruled them. That's not at all the way the gracious Jesus deals with, with those who are walking wayward. How do you deal with church discipline and faithfulness to the Word of God? With patience, with gentleness, as well as firmness, the Apostle Paul saying in Second Corinthians, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, with love, with prayer, and with hope, and, and, and with always that, that confidence that God will do in others what he did do in Mr. Restored Prodigal, for who was no doubt prayed for by many, to elders, to leaders of churches, Please follow established procedure in church discipline. Otherwise, you open yourself to lawsuits as well as the disfavor of God. Uh, There are good books of church order or books of discipline available. Learn from them and, and adopt one and follow those policies. Elders, leaders of churches, be of one mind in in what you do. Sometimes there may be division among elders or church leaders, even in the matter of discipline. If necessary, you still must move forward, but seek for unity because the devil can, can break down the unity of a church if church discipline is not carried out carefully and wisely and patiently and communicate clearly to the congregation Uh, One man I heard recently said, clarity isn't everything, but it changes everything. Be clear. What does it mean that the excommunicated one is to be treated as a Gentile and a tax gatherer? Well, the person's to be regarded as one who's not saved by the grace of God. 
And so it's not business as usual dealing with them. Constantly communicate concern for the person's repentance and true faith in Christ as Lord. I cannot overstate the importance of what that means. And then pray and pray and pray and expect restoration. God is the one who is the restorer in the breach. When things are broken, he restores. Believe that and pray that way. And help the returning prodigal son or the prodigal daughter work through the issues. This can be a long process. But remember, Jesus the shepherd leads his sheep in right paths, paths of righteousness, for his own name's sake. And and so even as Mr. Restored Prodigal received rightly the attention of his pastor, helping him work through issues, that must be done. And in our day where we like to do things quickly, people can look down on that. And sometimes churches can have so many programs, they, they insulate themselves from that. Uh, but as one of my dear pastor friends, as many people said, as many people who like to catch fish, but very few that like to clean them. And this is a cleaning process. And do, as our speaker said today, focus on Christ. Focus on Christ and the gospel for every look a person looks at himself and his failings or her failings. At least 10 looks at Christ. And restoration, it's a celebration. Read it in Luke 15. Rejoice over the lost sheep that was found. Rejoice over the lost coin that was found. Celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. And and that means self-righteous persons who need no repentance, which means they think they don't have need of repentance. And I want to remind all of you that there is something worse than gross, gross sin and immorality. It is self-righteousness which will insulate you from the gospel that brings you empty to the righteousness of another, even Jesus Christ. Well, let this program be part of the celebration of Mr. R.P.'s repentance, and let it be an encouragement that many prodigal sons and daughters will repent as well. I hope that this program has done that for you. Parents of prodigal sons and daughters, you may be very, very discouraged But as our speaker said, sometimes, if not in many cases, people have to go down deeper before they're really made to look up to the Lord of heaven and be restored by him and by his power. But don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, and let there be a celebration when that one who was lost is found and brought home. Thanks to Mr. R.P., to Mr. Restored Prodigal, who is our guest on the program today. Now, if you contact me, I can get you in contact with him. You can do that by contacting me at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. That's all one word, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Please check out the archives of past Visit to the Pastor Study programs. You can get those on sermonaudio.com, a great resource, or just go by a visit to the pastor's study at sermonaudio.com, or you can get them right at our own website, visit the pastor's study. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. Hey, I appreciate your feedback. appreciate your questions. You can email me. already gave it. Visit pastorbill at gmail.com or call me 516-593-1507. Tomorrow's the Lord's Day. Be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that's faithful to the Word of God. And remember, Everyone needs a pastor.